May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. How are we ever to say farewell to those whom we truly love? How are we to do it in such a way that sets them free to be more fully themselves, which is nothing short of allowing them to be those people God calls them to be? All of us who have ever loved and lost, and any of us who have known the bitter facts of grief, it snares and echoes the way it draws us back to hurt and the cost of love, will know the price of letting go. Today, we are caught in one of those extraordinary spaces in between, generated by our faith. In our church calendar, we gather in the space between Jesus' ascension to the Father and Pentecost, the day on which we celebrate the birth of the church in the fiery, disruptive gift of the Holy Spirit. And I want to speak of how being able to inhabit the in-between places is a gift of grace and a way of shaping our call to be people of good news. How it can inspire us in our evangelistic vocation. Indeed, how it can help us to be more ourselves, to be more human, and therefore more divine. And Jesus says, And now I am no longer in the world, but they, my people, are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says this as part of his farewell speeches on the night he was betrayed and arrested as he was about to be handed over for torture and ultimately killed on a cross. Jesus rehearses his farewell and comes back again and again to the centrality of love. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend. But in this moment we hear today, Jesus plays with time and space and the tensions generated by being caught between love and longing. He says, and now I am no longer in the world. Yet as he speaks, there is a sense in which, of course, he is in the world. He's there in the room with his disciples. He's yet to be handed over. He is with those whom he has called and who will run away or betray or, as with the women, will stay with him to the end. What's going on here? Jesus, in today's gospel, has entered what I call the in-between places, those places we find ourselves in when life cuts deep when we face the wound of loss, the trauma of endings and farewell, when time is short and there is urgency and a need to slice through the unnecessary. I think if we are living well, in reality as it were, then we too will know those places. I've known them. 
not only in the slings and arrows of ordinary life, but in the very bones and DNA of my body. I've known those in-between places in chronic illness, when as a few years ago, my Crohn's disease got completely out of control and I was thrown at times between life and death itself. I had to learn to mourn and say farewell to a certain version of myself. Or consider this, in my early 20s, when I transitioned from male to female, I found myself caught in between the binaries of gender. And I was mocked and I was bullied. It was in that costly place that I learnt more about what we're invited to truly be and what really matters. How can these places be gifts? Jesus shows us how. In today's gospel, Jesus prays out of that place as gifts. He offers, albeit with great pathos and cost, this prayerful grace of deep longing. I'm coming to you, Father. Oh, Father, protect them in the name you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. This is prayer far beyond the, the kind of random and often shallow prayer we all pray most of the time. This isn't prayer that's easy, either for the prayer or for those who might receive its blessings. It's not cheap prayer or feel-good prayer or dutiful prayer. This is the prayer of one caught up in the tragedy of the world. And yet he sees our call to God's delight. Jesus Christ is leaving, and he must leave if there is to be space for a new encounter with grace. He must leave one register of life if he is to be available to all peoples in the Spirit. But it's no intellectual matter. It's no theological calculation. It's discovered in the truth of a body that can be broken and will be broken. And he sees that those he loves, for he is love, are in the world, and the world fractures. Our world, wondrous though it is, is a world of limit, where we so readily tear ourselves apart, where we take what is magnificently fragile, beauty, love, grace, truth, and we mar it. We damage it. And even we who seek to follow the way are complicit in crucifying love. So Jesus prays that for all those for whom he dies, the world shall be one. Not the oneness of blandness or easy, safe consensus, not the oneness of carefully regulated public squares or a hive mind, but the oneness of mutual indwelling, where each of us is in the hands of the other, despite our profound differences, and yet we do not abuse, we do not exploit, we do not cheapen. 
where there is always risk of breaking apart, where we recognize those who are different from us as gift. You know, sometimes we say, don't we, that Christians are in the world, but not of it. And this passage has sometimes been used to bolster it. And I don't want to call out that claim, but I want to invite us to be more nuanced. Given what we know about living in this world of limit and loss, can we dare for something more than a cheap separatism between the holy huddle and the world or between the way of salvation and what the world seems to offer? You see, to be faithful, to be in living relationship with the living God is, I sense, about being in between people. People who are growing into the likeness of Christ through our deep participation in the world's birth pangs. We are in between because we know the world and its longings and its long, slow farewell to tragedy. We know our love of tragedy and limit, yet we also feel God's longing for us to have life in all its fullness. We feel the call of the kingdom and make our response however feebly. And oh, this is good news. This is the stuff of evangelistic delight. Jesus Christ is the way, the life, and the truth, and the truth shall set us free. But the gospel we proclaim is not a program or mere set of beliefs. It is the living, embodied way of community illuminated by the Holy One, by the one who comes into our world as bone of our bone, who loves and delights in us as one of us, who knows the cost of living as a human being. And when he is pushed out of the world by us, he comes back offering reconciliation in his wounded hands, not asking for revenge. We're not called to be Christ, but we are called into his way and show that way in how we are to be in the world by trying to live on hope and promise, even when the trace of them seems so faint in our cruel world. And Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I think our challenge is to resist a cheapening of those words by turning them into a kind of permission for self-pity and victimhood. The struggle, I think, is not between true Christians and, well, any other so-called threatening group one might like to childishly blame. No, the struggle is between the wondrous demands an invitation of love and our temptations to cruelty and our temptations to stereotype and our temptations to blame. 
The way we live on good news as evangelists and pilgrims is by being as incarnated in the world as Christ himself. Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. So, brothers and sisters, let us dare to discern God's transforming work in the world. Let's get involved and show the reality of the God who is unafraid of the in-between places where new hope is born. Who calls to us in our anger, who calls to us in our grief, who sets us free in our farewells who says, I come offering abundant life. Come follow me into life in all its fullness. Amen.